In the name of the loving, life-giving, and liberating God who is Blessed Trinity, amen. You may be seated. When I was a child, my parents gave each of us an allowance. The amount was determined by our age, and we were required to give 10% of it to the church and save 50% of it in a piggy bank for the whole year. The other 40% we got to spend as we saw fit. At the end of each year on our birthdays, we were able to withdraw all the money that we had saved, and again, a certain portion was put into bonds at the bank, and then the rest of it we got to spend on something big. Now, when we first got the allowance, we spent our portion of it immediately on little things, whatever we saw that took our fancy. But it didn't take us long to realize that if we saved our weekly portion, we could get something bigger that we had been wanting. So eventually, we would save our weekly portion to supplement the amount that we got at the end of the year on our birthday. This is how Zach and I got the Game Boys that I've told you about before. This seemed to work wonderfully as financial training for us kids, but it was also an exercise in choices. We could get an immediate return of some small toy uh, that we wanted in the moment, or we could wait until we had enough for something bigger. It was part of our growing up, learning how to make choices that made the most sense for us, In that sense, learning how to make good choices. With this story in mind, let's look again at our passages from Genesis and from Romans. I don't know about you, but I get tired of hearing about Eve and the serpent. (laughs) And all the things that Eve has done to make everything go wrong. Paul, at least, has the decency not to let Adam off scot-free. But in doing so, he erases Eve completely. In these interpretations, either Eve was guilty and brought sin upon us all, or she never mattered in the first place. Pretty typical for women in the Bible. But today, I want to shift the story of Eve, Adam, and the serpent into a new light. It's a passage we're so used to hearing that we often don't hear anything new about it. And I think it has something to teach us for Lent, especially if we hear it in light of some of our Jewish siblings' interpretations. Now, I begin by telling you that just like Christianity, Judaism is not a monolithic religion meaning that Jews have different interpretations of the scriptures depending on which branch of Judaism they belong to, just like our own denominations. So this is only one of many interpretations, but I think it can be helpful. In one Jewish understanding of the Adam and Eve story in Genesis, the snake is not Satan at all. It is simply one of God's creatures, And this is not a story of humankind's fall, but a story about growing up and learning how to make choices. If you'll notice, the word sin is never used in this story. 
that word is saved for a couple stories later when we hear about Cain and Abel. When Cain has the choice to murder his brother or find another way. We all know what he chose. And the traditional Western understanding of original sin, brought to us by Augustine's interpretation of Paul's interpretation of Genesis, uh, would have us believe that the origins of Cain's poor choices started with his parents. At least, at least some Jewish scholars would have us see Adam and Eve in a different light. Because if the story of Adam and Eve isn't primarily about sin, let alone original sin, then it's simply about learning how to make choices on our own. And the choice that Adam and Eve make is to have the knowledge of good and evil to make those choices. And in the Old Testament, we will continue to see that choice is important. Deuteronomy exhorts the Israelites to choose life that they might live. The prophets tell Israel to mend their ways, to take care of the last and the least in their midst. And finally, Jesus comes to expose the ugliness of our choices by submitting himself to death rather than loving any one person around him any less. In Jesus' death and vindicating resurrection, God proclaims that hate will never swallow love, even if we choose badly again and again. But the coming of Jesus also gives us a way forward. If you'll notice, once the fruit is picked, it can't be put back on the tree. We're still very much aware of good and evil in our midst, and it doesn't seem like that will change. God doesn't ever seem to lead God's people back to some rose-colored past in any part of the Bible, but is always leading us forward. For example, after God confuses our languages at Babel, God then doesn't give us all one language at Pentecost, but opens our ears and our mouths so that we can listen and speak in each other's languages. It's the same with the garden. God doesn't restore us to an, an uncomplicated dependence upon the creator, but invites us to follow Jesus on a new path, a path that will again lead us to communion with God in the garden, but in a garden that is now centered in a city. A picture of God and God's people living in co-creation together. God leaves us our agency and invites us as we are into something new. God asks us to cultivate wisdom. Now, I don't know what it is about thinking about our choices in this way, but it feels freeing to me and impresses to me the importance of my own actions. It makes our Lenten practices feel particularly important and formative. Whether we choose to give something up 
or to add a spiritual practice to our lives, we are focusing ourselves upon Jesus and learning how to make the choices that will lead to life. It allows us to take hold of the identity that God has created us to live into, which is exactly what Jesus was doing in the desert, wrestling with all sorts of attacks on his own identity as God incarnate in the world. Jesus chose life again and again to show us that we can too. So this Lent, let's practice following Jesus together and choose life that we might live. Amen.